in all of the developed industrialized countries, there is greater and greater unemployment. And as this unemployment goes deeper and deeper into the society, the people who feel it the most are the poor and working people, the massive cutbacks. The massive cuts in social welfare, the cuts are not coming in the arms race. The cuts are not coming out of the arms budget. I understand the talk is to spend $3 trillion over five years. The mind boggles. That is the kind of money that is supposed to be consumed in arms. But while that kind of money is being consumed in arms, hospitals are closing down. Jobs are being, more and more retrenchment is taking place. Pensions are being reduced. Medic, medic aid is being reduced. In other words, the arms is swallowing up the money. The people are not benefiting. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 1804. Um, sorry, this episode's going to be late. You're probably going to get it uh, Thursday afternoon. Um, I've had a lot of stuff with uh, exams and uh, Christmas around the corner, too, so I've been dealing with all of that. Um, but next week, it'll be back on a consistent basis. Um, in middle day of Wednesday, latest you'll have it is <clears throat> Thursday morning. Um, with that being said, today I want to uh, discuss a few things over uh, mainly a meeting at the UN Security Council, which was very um, interesting. I think you guys will like it, um, as well as this nice article that shows exactly the main point I want to highlight. Why exactly do oligarchs finance uh, gangs? And as well as the arrest of a former um, Haitian uh, so-called torturer as well. That's also involved in the assassination. So we'll go through all that today. <clears throat> so... Um, on the 21st, so yeah, there was a UN Security Council yesterday um, headed by BINU, if you guys are not aware. Um, BINU is the Bureau Intégré des Nations Unies en Haïti, United Nations Integrated Offices in Haiti. However, the acronym is French. Um, so honestly, like they have a mandate here. This, 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 um, uh, the BINU is led by this lady called Hélène Lalume who has experience, uh, a lot of experience as a, a U.S. ambassador to other countries. Uh, I'll give you the mandate here. This is off their website. The um, United Nations Integrated Office in Haiti, BINU, is a special pol uh, political mission established by the Security Council in its resolution 2476 of 25, uh, sorry, 2476 of the 25th of June, 2019, and deployed under Chapter Jesus. What is this Roman? I'm so terrible with Roman numbers. I think that's six. Chapter six of the United Nations Charter. If I've got that wrong, sorry, guys. <laughs> I have no clue. Um, with the pre presence of only in uh, Port-au-Prince and focusing exclusive exclusively on the provision of advisory services and good offices, BNU works primarily with state institutions too. And these are the three mandates. Strengthen political stability and good governments, including the rule of law. Advance a peaceful and stable environment, including through supporting an inclusive and um, inter-Haitian national dialogue, and protect and promote human rights. 
Um, so that's their main responsibility. However, the effectiveness of the Security Council has yet to show any um, any uh, real results or even, I'd say, minimum results, honestly. And even with these mandates, I have, I have a hard uh, time. Um, I have a hard time finding what exactly their role is um, in a sense that. Um, well, strengthen political stability and good governments, including the rule of law. They're upholding a de facto prime minister. Advance a peaceful and stable environment, including through supporting inclusive inter-Haitian national dialogue. Um, these decisions seem to be done, or these dialogues are seem to be done with a de facto government, which is headed by a de facto uh, prime minister. So, um, I don't. Yeah, I find I've, it's we it's. Hard to find what their role is in this specific situation and with the government we have in place. But um, just to give you a background of the head of this, um, this is from Wikipedia, not the best source of information. However, I do think it's good if you're trying to find people's career pa- um, uh, career history. Um, but you can see here uh, mainly, what is, oh yeah, let's go to career. Oh, that was right there. Yeah, she worked at the Embassy of Chad from 1996 to 1999. Her next two assignments were at the Office of Central African Affairs, first as Deputy Director and then as Director. After she served in Morocco for two years, President W. Bush, um, George W. Bush, nominated her to Ambassador of Mozambique, where she served from April 2003 to to December 2006. She then served in two diplomatic roles in South Africa from 2006 and 2011. Um, so, yeah, she's been around and she is also keep in mind, um, although the U.N. is a although a lot of influences come from the states. It's a it's a it's it's not one. It's not uh, owned by one state or um, one entity. It's more of an international uh, entity. But she's also has um, a history of working um, for the United States before her position on uh, the United Nations. So um, Kim Ives or Kim Eves, um, editor and uh, journalist from Haiti Liberté, was actually um, invited to speak and give his his view on what's the situation on in Haiti. And he's um, if you've read any articles from Haiti Liberté, he's been covering Haiti for 40 years, almost 40 years. And a lot of news It's like um, he has his own independent um news outlet where a lot of the news that he's, he gets is not what you would see on from mainstream media concerning Haiti. So his opinion and what was going on was very eye-opening to nothing new if you know what's if you've been looking at what's going on. But um, um, for him to um, give his view of what's going on to the UN and in front of uh, Lalim, who was present, was pretty was pretty dope, not gonna lie. Um, I'll play the video now. Oh no! And I'll give you so this is a Cuban council meeting, um, three hours, but we're not obviously gonna play the whole thing. I'll show you um, Lalim's uh, opening statement, and then we'll jump to Kim Ives. Madam President, distinguished members of the council. Thank you for this opportunity to update you on the latest developments in Haiti, which are taking place amidst the alarmingly high levels of gang violence in the country. The siege of Haiti's main fuel terminal, 
that had coincided with months of protests, orchestrated disruptions, and, and armed roadblocks across the country came to an end in early November through a concerted effort by the Haitian National Police. Fuel began to flow in a number of neighborhoods in the Port-au-Prince area, allowing hospitals and businesses to open, creating the semblance of a possible return to normal. This hope was quickly dispelled, however, as a new level of gang activity was immediately felt across the capital, marking spikes in kidnappings, killings, and rape. November witnessed 280 intentional homicides, the highest record. Equally distressing is the number of abductions for ransom. Reported kidnappings in 2022 have so far exceeded the 1,200 cases, double the number recorded last year, making every route for the average Haitian an ordeal. This, the increase in recorded rapes reflects a horrendous modus operandi of the gangs, who, as we reported in October, use sexual violence to intimidate and subjugate whole communities. The brutality with which this violence is committed has become a badge of notoriety for perpetrators. Further compounding the plight of millions living amidst this violence is the catastrophic economic situation. With all main roads in and out of the capital under control, Stymieing trade. Close to half. Sorry, I realized my mic was muted, but uh, earlier on, I just want to say that, um, like she keeps the the situation in Haiti. She keeps repeating, repeating the same thing. Um, it's not the first UN Council meeting she opens saying like the main issues, but her talking points are almost recycled and just changed a bit, and she regurgitates the same thing, and that just shows you at the same time there's not really real progress going on, and this. Um, uh, um, this integrated office in Haiti has been there since uh, even before the assassination of Jovenel Moïse. So, the population are food insecure, with some twenty thousand people facing famine conditions. In addition to the large level of displacements, thirty-four percent of schools remain closed, and while authorities do their best with UN support to manage cholera. Suspected cases have reached 15,000 throughout the country's 10 departments. Distinguished members of the council, the announcement of resolution 2653 on 21 October was- All right, so you can go through the her whole speech if you want. I'm gonna to skip to Kim Ives right now because it's very interesting what he says. Uh, and the future individuals that are involved in activities described in the resolution. Now, I had a certain number of initial contacts regarding the implementation of Resolution 2653 in conformity with line E of the relevant paragraph, and I will present an annual report to the Council on the means of strengthening the effectiveness of the measures contained in the resolution. For his briefing. I now give the floor to Mr. Kim Ives. I thank the Council's members for this opportunity to present our analysis of the situation in Haiti. 
I've been reporting on and in Haiti for the past 48 years, most recently last month when I traveled there with my colleague, journalist Dan Cohen, to investigate the fuel crisis standoff. Using a drone, we assessed barricades, police movements, shipping traffic, and open-air markets. Despite the gas shortage and insecurity, we visited hospitals, clinics, an IDP camp, an industrial park, wealthy quarters, and sewage-choked slums. I've been asked to present the facts, but the facts themselves are not neutral. They speak to a history in which international law has been violated and the principles of peace and self-determination on which this body was founded have been trampled. These precedents have spawned the current crisis. In the past three decades, Haiti has been the victim of three coup d'etats in 1991, 2004, and most recently, 2021. After each of these crimes, which involved international actors, the UN Security Council has been asked, as it is being asked today, to militarily intervene in Haiti. The Council agreed to do so in the first two cases, thereby essentially cementing in place an unjust and illegal status quo. The victims of these coups, the Haitian masses, were the ones policed, repressed, terrorized, demonized, sexually violated, politically bullied, and economically sanctioned. That is why the 16 million... Just an FYI for the people listening on the podcast, the mic banging is not uh, from me. It's from the uh, Kim Ives. I can, like, if you're looking at the video, he's, the paper keeps hitting the mic. <laughs> Just letting you know. Haitian people, 12 million living in Haiti and some 4 million living abroad, are patently and almost universally opposed to any more UN interventions, with the exception of Haiti's tiny bourgeoisie. Haiti is the... So this is one part that never gets mentioned um, when they're talking about Haiti's crisis or even on in the UN or in mainstream media, even in that big um, New York Times article that showed how um, France had made Haiti pay f um, for their freedom almost 100 years through this uh, bank that they installed. Um, there's never mention of like uh, one of the main uh, issues, which is the oligarchy who holds a monopoly on, uh, on the Haitian people. Only country in the Western Hemisphere to endure a UN military occupation, and this not once, but twice. What is the situation today? You, the members of this council, have been given half-truths. But as the Indian writer Anurag Shuri notes, a half-truth is even more dangerous than a lie because half a truth is sure to mislead you for long. You have been told that Haiti is under the rule of gangs and that the power of this world body is needed to punish and crush them. The other half of the truth is that you have not been told is that the previous two UN military interventions have so weakened the Haitian state, along with the coup d'etats, that it has opened the void for the growth of such criminality. As a result, the Haitian people have been left to fend for themselves, forming what Haitians dubbed in the 1980s as vigilance brigades to combat the criminals. Through this means, they have effectively created neighborhoods which are not plagued by criminals, where the citizens are able to go about their daily affairs in peace and security. However, today, we see some analysts who report to this council and even publish their accounts in authoritative media networks conflating the criminal gangs, which openly and unabashedly commit kidnapping, extortion, rape, and other crimes, with the autonomously formed civilian self-defense committees combating criminality. So he's going to get more into it, but he's trying to dif differentiate um 
the G9 alliance, the gangs, and then actual gangs, where a lot of people, when they're looking at the situation, including me, um, it's hard to differentiate whether or not sometimes if um, Jimmy Chirizier, because he's going to touch on it more, but if Jimmy Chirizier was, Chirizier was actually saying what he's trying to do, which is combat gangs and fight against what's going on by creating safe neighborhoods and combating the actual gangs, um, and then to differentiate whether he's lying and it's really he's kind of a puppet of the oligarchs or the international community. There's been that debate where people believe that what he's saying is not true because a lot of things he says was scripted. Um, but now he's trying to differentiate the two, taking Jeremy Shea's side and actually legitimizing him in the sense that trying to say that he is um, not a uh, he's in he's not a gang where they're committing crimes and rape. But in the gang, since they created an alliance and neighborhoods where people can actually function and do what they need to do um, under their um, safety. These self-constituted defense committees are the very embodiment of self-determination and organic community action and response. In short, you are lumping together the good guys and the bad guys in one basket called the gangs. The irony is that this body is now now threatens to uproot this germinating sprout of Haitian self-defense. Indeed, in its resolution 2653 of October 21st, this body chose to sanction one and only one person accusing him of threatening the peace, security, and stability of Haiti and charging on the grounds of contested allegations that he has planned, directed, or committed acts that constitute serious human rights abuses. Yeah, and this is what raises questions if to see if all these sanctions are just political play or just to kind of show that the international community is doing something when, real, when reality they're not. Because um, the UN, out of all the gangs, um, there was Casamazo who was, who was found to be, who had kidnapped these um, American missionaries. Um, there's Izo, another uh, prominent gang member, yet they had only sanctioned Jimmy Chirizier which raised a lot of questions as to, out of all people, why just him and not the other gang members too, right? The sanctioned man was not Joseph Wilson, alias Lamos Saint-Jour, the leader of the 400 Maozo gang, who admittedly and publicly kidnapped 17 North American missionaries and five French priests and two nuns last year. It was not the self-professed kidnapper known as Izo, leader of Village de Dieu's Five Seconds gang, which killed four Haitian cops and wounded seven others in March 2021. It was not Renel Destina, alias Tilapli, another proud kidnapper whose criminal gang controls the area of Grand Ravine and with Izo has cut off the highway leading to Haiti's southern peninsula, 40% of the country for almost two years. It was not Kempes Sanon, the leader of the Bel Air gang who was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for kidnapping but escaped in February 2021, killing the civilian director of the Quadrebouquet mission during his getaway. The man whom this body sanctioned was Jimmy Cherizier, known as Barbecue, who is the spokesman for a federation of neighborhoods known as the Revolutionary Forces of the G9 Family and Allies, Mess With One, You Mess With All, dedicated to keeping kidnapping, extortion, rape, and other crimes out of their midst. Cherizier got his start as a stellar cop fighting criminal gangs. Furthermore, Cherizier's G9 coalition sought to decrease violence and succeeded in establishing a truce in July 2020 between its neighborhoods and those controlled by the criminal gangs. 
The UN Integrated Office in Haiti, or BNU, stated in a September 25th, 2020 report that intentional homicides reported to the police decreased by 12% during the three months from June to August 2020, a period coinciding with the start of the G9's truce. The mere observation of this statistical fact so alarmed the Haitian oligarchy that it began to spin the fiction through its radio stations, paid pundits, and political formations on both the left and right, that the Binu and its chief, Helen Lalim, had federated the G9 and were controlling it. So just to expand on what he said, he said once that report came out showing that between that three-month period, intentional killings have gone down by 12%, he's saying that how which is another, and it's not a secret, it happens to most in any country. Um, the wealthy usually own, uh, have an influence on them on mainstream media. So he was saying how these oligarchs or the the, the wealthy Asian pe people that are taking advantage of the situation um, were able to plant these stories into the Haitian media, either left or um, left-leaning or right-leaning, and were able to uh, create a story, which, which I remember the story, actually, but it was basically, which... Even I believed where um, they're saying Jimmy Cherizier is an agent of the UN or is working for the UN. Um, basically, is controlled by the UN to to worsen the situation in Haiti. So they're trying to spin it that way to get hate on Jimmy Cherizier. And honestly, you could argue even further that um, manufacture consent for his um, killing. The rumors spread, spread widely spread. This rumor spread widely, despite the fact that the report only a sentence before characterized the G9 as quote-unquote notorious, stating that its creation raised concerns among political and civil society actors about the detrimental impact partisan gangs can have on state institutions. This illustrates how quickly fiction, through mere repetition, can become accepted as fact in the popular discord, leading the UN to target a crime-fighting, truce-promoting leader in Haiti's slums. That an error of this magnitude can happen also shows how easily misguided, counterproductive, and blunt an instrument this body's Chapter 7 power can be, especially when this council is receiving inaccurate and skewed information. Sanctions should be evidence-based, not the result of political machinations. For example, on September 26, 2022, Madame Lalim informed the Security Council that Haitian Prime Minister Ariel Henry wanted dialogue as a means to create the necessary security, constitutional, and political conditions for elections by the... It's funny to me how we're playing along with this. The de facto president who has no legitimacy was asking the UN for open dialogue. That's crazy. ...end of 2023. She should have noted that Ariel Henry is a de facto yeah, head of government with virtually no popular support or legal mandate. What little legitimacy he might have had expired on February 7th, 2022 with the definitive end. Of oh, yeah. That's another thing we completely forgot, too. The like Ariel Henry's term technically ended in February 7th, 2022. So all this complaining, even at the time in Haitian media, how... Jovenel Moïse overstayed his term, allegedly. Um, there's not that same energy being reciprocated for Ariel Henry. And I don't think it's a coincidence either. ...of the late Jovenel Moïse's term. 
In the 17 months that he has held power, thanks to his appointment by the so-called core group of ambassadors led by Lalim and Washington, Henri has made absolutely no progress establishing dialogue or in creating the groundwork for elections. On the contrary, he disbanded the sitting Provisional Electoral Council two months after taking power and has not reconstituted it. Most observers agree that the likelihood of free and fair elections taking place in the coming year is practically nil. She also told you that Henri decided, quote, to reduce regressive subsidies on fuel, which costs the state some $400 million a year as a means of increasing revenue for social programs. On the contrary, the fuel subsidies, which allow Haitian public transport, open-air markets, and tens of thousands of small peasants and enterprises to function, were not regressive. They were one of the few measures that helped to ease the burden of crushing poverty on Haiti's masses. And there are no social programs in Haiti to speak of. It was therefore predictable that Henri's move, which U.S. Assistant Secretary of State Brian Nichols said were actions we wanted to see for, in Haiti for quite some time, precipitated, as Lalim reported, roadblocks were, that were set up throughout the country generating a full countrywide lockdown. Ironically, the response being proposed to such uprisings is yet another foreign military intervention. The last sustained UN military mission to Haiti, the MINUSTA, lasted 13 years from 2004 to 2017 at a cost of about $7 billion, on average $538.5 million annually. Leaving aside moral and political principles, would it not be more cost-effective to underwrite the Haitian state with fuel subsidies for $400 million annually then deployed troops at a much higher cost. So he made a good point. It cost them more to occupy. Like, so there was this port where they have the fuel and it was blocked off. And another resolution was, oh, let's come in and um, let's send, um, let's come occupy. Let's come help out. The cost of them helping out and coming into the country is way more than the money they would, they would be able to give um, as a, Get, uh, fuel subsidies to the whole Haitian population. So that would easily, like, they've got the money, clearly got the money to come and occupy the country. However, they have got, if they wanted to, they could really spend a fraction of the money they would spend and actually help out, have more meaningful, provide more meaningful help to the Haitian population, which is a great point. That's one of uh, my favorite points that he made here. You were also told that, quote, one of the largest alliances of criminal gangs in the capital blocked the nation's main fuel terminal in Port-au-Prince at Varuk. First, why does Madame Lalim refer to criminal gangs, but then not, doesn't criticize, doesn't characterize Ariel Henry as criminal? He has been credibly accused, based on phone records, of many extended phone conversations. I'm dead because <laughs> you can see her face right here, and I don't know. I wish I was there to see it exactly, but I'm just dead because it must have been um, <laughs> kind of awkward for her because I don't think she's ever had someone give alternative facts or not go along with the agenda to and discuss it at a UN Security Council meeting. That's one of the few times I've seen this. With Joseph Felix Badio, the man said to have ordered Colombian mercenaries to fatally machine gun President Jovenel Moise on July 7th, 2021. Henri fired a Haitian judge who sought to question him about the calls that occurred both before and just hours after the murder. 
Secondly, the alliance of so-called criminal gangs Lalim refers to is the G9, the crime-fighting federation headed by Jimmy Cherizier. The barricades they erected outside the Varad fuel terminal, which is one of three fuel depots in the capital, were in solidarity with the nationwide lockdown and the entire population's demands. Thirdly, the barricades established throughout the country, with barricades established throughout the country, why did she focus just on the barricades near the fuel terminal? What difference does it make if a fuel truck can travel five blocks instead of one block? The many road barricades and demonstrations throughout the city would have curtailed fuel deliveries at that time, but the principal factor disrupting gas distribution was the price hike, which more than doubled the cost of fuel overnight. You were told in your briefing that the Vara barricade was, quote, creating shortages across the country and closing down hospitals. This is another half-truth. Over a month after the September briefing, in early November, we visited the General Hospital, mm-hmm. Haiti's largest, where the administrator told us that the hospital was, had never closed down and that it had been harder to obtain fuel since August when supplies became short due to the government not paying its gas bills and even more difficult after the price hike. Madame Lelim concluded her report by saying that, quote, an economic crisis, a gang crisis, and a political crisis have converged into a humanitarian catastrophe, end quote, while underlying the very real limits of the national police force. We believe this was clearly setting the stage for Ariel Henry's October 9th request to this council for foreign military intervention, which is a flagrant violation of the Haitian Constitution's Article 26. 263-1, which forbids foreign troops on Haitian soil. The proponents of foreign intervention into Haiti are well aware of the Haitian people's opposition and its bad optics before the eyes of the world, especially... And keep in mind, BNU is one of, one of their mandates to uphold... Um, um, within it, uphold rule of law and make sure everything's uh, secure yet... By, it's literally going against the Haitian um, constitution if you bring uh, troops on Haitian soil. So, like, the law's not even getting respected. Since it has been uns- and this goes as well not just for Binu Lalim, but also for um, any Haitian politician as well. Successfully tried before. So former U.S. ambassador to Haiti, Pamela White, suggested this month that the Biden administration deployed deploy 2,000 armed law enforcers to Haiti, but to send in a couple of hundred at a time over six months with little fanfare. Some officials have also suggested deploying small special forces units to train the Haitian police. As in Vietnam in the early 1960s, this risks simply becoming the thin edge of the wedge. Tellingly, the same Pamela White recommended in a March 2020 Congressional hearing that President Moise, quote, be put aside and that Washington embraced what she called the prime minister option. This has effectively come to pass. These power dynamics are what is most alarming about the situation in Haiti today. Foreign actors are deciding what leaders Haitians should have, and a prime minister with no legal or popular mandate is running roughshod over the Haitian constitution. Now, foreign nations are debating yet another military invasion, supposedly to save unwilling Haitians from a so-called humanitarian catastrophe. We at Haiti Liberté strongly believe 
that the situation in Haiti cannot be resolved through foreign intervention, military force, or even sanctions. The Haitian people, acting with full sovereignty, must be allowed to sort out their own problems, just as they did 219 years ago when they founded Latin America's first nation. The only thing the UN or any other foreign entity might do to provide Haiti with disinterested economic support to rebuild their ravaged economy and political institutions destroyed by three decades of coup d'etats, military interventions, and neoliberal austerity. We call on this council to respect the principles enshrined in its charter, in particular Article 2, Paragraph 7, which states that nothing contained in the present charter will, shall authorize the United Nations to intervene in matters which are essentially within the domestic jurisdiction of any state. Thank you. Yeah, he killed that. He killed that. So we'll see what the aftermath of the speech is, if it'll change what Latim says every freaking day or every time she shows up to these security council meetings. Um, But yeah, Kim Ives really dropped the bomb on his um on his reporting, which was great. Um, so we'll see how it goes. How, if it'll have an effect, well, um, most people don't find these, uh, watch these UN security council meetings. Um, but I think if this is more, if this, if this gains traction on the internet, it'll be good for people to see exactly what's going on. Although I know the art, the New York times article that was published back in May or April is out there as well, but this is another shot to show exactly what the current situation is in Haiti. Um, now what this means for the Haitian people. Um, obviously, minimal minimal effect till there's actual um, change on the ground in Haiti. All right. Next, I want to show is this article from December 16th by James North. So the billionaire oligarchs who are enabling Haiti, Haiti's murderous gangs. So this article came a bit after mainly uh, revolving around the recent sanctions that Canada had put on on them but he gives some interesting points as to why and um <clears throat> why they would finance why they would hand gangs arms and finance him as well as other interesting facts of how th the bgo family have been in the industry as well so i'm gonna go over it right now all right so the Bijou family is part of what is often called the Ciro Lebanese elite. So if you guys don't know, it's like the mulatto elite. My dad even used to tell me, tell me, oftentimes, most times, at least where he was from, um, pe most people that had owned the businesses were the mulatto, so they look light skinned, and then most people working for him were the dark skinned Haitians. So this is one of the expressions where it comes from the Ciro Libanese, also where the article will tell you from Syrian and Lebanese descent. Um, some immigrated to Haiti during the Nakba, um, and some even after a little after that. So the Bijou family is part of what's so often called the Syrio-Lebanese elite, the descendants of people who immigrated in the late 19th and early 20th century from various parts of the Middle East. There are estimates that Bijou, the 86-year-old patriarch, is worth $1 billion, although no one knows for sure. It is a matter of public record that in 2020, he bought a Mercedes-Maybach luxury auto for 132k quite a state from jeffrey epstein by the way fun fact quite a statement in a nation where an estimated 4.7 million people nearly half the people are experiencing acute food insecurity 
That many outside of Haiti ignoring about are ignorant about these influential oligarchs is actually something of a surprise. Back in the early 1990s, after most of the wealthy supported the overthrow democratically elected president, Jean-Martin Aristide, foreign diplomats, including a U.S. ambassador, called them morally repugnant elites, or MREs for short. The appellation was inspired by the emergency rations known as meals ready to eat. So this is where it gets interesting here. And like I said, these like oftentimes similar to what we um, we saw in Peru a couple of weeks ago, um, the coup d'etat that was on this left leaning, uh, their left leaning president who was democratically elected, which, by the way, um, Peru has had six presidents um, in the last seven years. Uh, this coup d'etat was funded by mainly the oligarchs. And the person they put in place was the former, and just show you the person they put in place was the daughter of a former dictator they had back in the 90s. So obviously, this lady is going to have their best, their interest as a priority for the, um, when she's running the country, right? So, so here it says, why do some members of Haiti's elite pay, um, pay, even, uh, pay and even armed gangs? There are several explanations. In conversations with well-placed Haitians who understandably ask for anonymity, several theories emerged. All agreed that the gangs today are largely paramilitary allies of the PHTK. The PHTK, Parti Haïtienne de Calais, which is the, well, yeah, Ariel Henry's government, which was uh, started by uh, Michel Martelly back in, uh, I believe, 2011 or 2012. The political party has that has dominated Haiti for the past decade with a combination of election fraud and violence. These oligarchs have a vested interest in maintaining this alliance. A large shop owner explained that Haiti's elite profits from monopolizing certain strategic imports, for example, Bijos controls steel, and, and so they cooperate with the ruling party to maintain that economic power, which is almost fascism in a sense. Um, entrepreneurs or slash corporations working with government to kind of have a certain monopoly. Um, that's fascism. All my anonymous informants uh, agree that Haiti's rich evade their taxes. That's no surprise. And even that's a knock even on Haiti's tax system because I see. I know it's to to bring in investment, obviously, and uh, businesses, but a corporation can go into Haiti and have a um, not pay any um, income tax for twenty years if they fit the criteria. So twenty years straight, just you getting uh, money, not tax, which is great for the corporation, but that's how loose the taxes are there too. I'm not surprised that they evade their taxes. What's more, Canada directly accused Gilbert Biggio and the two others for money laundering and other acts of corruption. And one former government official told me that way back in the 1950s, the Biggios had imported Uzi submachine guns from Israel for Francois Papadoc Duvalier um, dictatorship. The weapons trade may thus have already been a component of the family business model. And... Keep in mind, I don't know if the article, maybe I skipped it or probably, but the Bichos also have a privatized port north of Port-au-Prince. So to me, it's easily, if you have a privatized port, no oversight, at least from the government, it's easy to import or export whatever you want um, 
for me at least, it looks like it's easy to export and import whatever you want if you have your own privatized port. And even the sanctions they put on me, right? Like, uh, Canada put sanctions, but Biggio, like, I'm assuming most of his assets, since he has a mansion in Miami, Florida, I'm assuming most of his assets are in the United States, yet we have not seen any sanctions placed on him. Ex-Envoy Foot is somewhat skeptical about the Canadian-U.S. economic pressure. I think they are acting for optics, so it looks like they are actually doing something, he said. But what they should do, be, should be doing right now is ending their support for Ayan Henry, the unelected de facto prime minister who is the biggest immediate obstacle to a solution. Um, Foot, like many Haitians, endorsed the Commission for Haitian Solution to the Crisis, also known as the Montana Accord, the broad-based coalition that is calling for Henri to step down and give way to a provisional government that can restore order and then eventually prepare for new elections in two years. So yeah, we'll see. But mainly, um, mainly by doing so, like why army games, you can. There's a bunch of explanations, but one of them is a monopoly, and two, even if you think of it this way, by keeping an insecurity, um, for example, for food, right? If you create food insecurity, people need food to survive, food to eat, and you have a monopoly on a certain food market or um, product, you're going to rack up a bunch of money um, by this insecurity, right? It's like, there's a saying too, it's called, um, like, you know, like, oftentimes even corporations do it. We saw it during COVID as well, but um, companies take advantage, is, take advantage of crises. And usually most times, if you can take advantage of it, you can generate a lot of money. Not that these oligarchs are lacking any type of money, but by keeping it, um, the country, having the country insecure, there's less threat against your money in a sense that your money is more, uh, the influx of money you're getting in is guaranteed week by week, month by month, rather than if the country was functioning. Another example I can give you, now Biggio has a control on the steel industry. Let's just assume that the country was functioning and people were actually able to go to school, learn, go to university and start businesses. They'd probably be more people in this trying to enter the steel industry in Haiti, which would threaten um, Bijou's monopoly on the steel industry. But because there is an insecurity and people are not even focused on that right now, like nobody's thinking, oh, I'm going to start a steel industry in Haiti right now. Well, people that are most affected by the insecurity are not thinking that way, which is the majority of the population. So by that doing, um, by doing so, not only you're creating a um, brain dead country because the schools are closed, but a lot of people are not gonna even want to have that um, entrepreneurial spirit or try and create something or um, fix a, a common problem, right? Um, so then, by that way, the um, by holding this insecurity, the monopoly can live on. So yeah, I can encourage you guys to read the story, uh, read the rest of the story if you can. It's on the soapbox. Um, I thought it was very good. Um, so another thing I want to touch on is, and sorry, for some reason, again, I don't know why the Miami Herald, I can't go on, uh, I can't open on Google Chrome. It's only on Microsoft Edge. Well, another interesting story for you. Um, Ex-rebel leader known as the torturer, 
is arrested in Haiti. President um, in, is arrested in Haiti. A president's Jesus Haitian president's assassination. That's a typo they have here. Um, so a former rebel known as a torturer who has a history of armed insurgencies against Haitian leaders has been arrested in the slaying of President Moise. Uh, multiple informed sources told the Miami Herald. Uh, Miradier Faustin, also known as ex-soldier in the Haitian army, was arrested earlier this month uh, along with Divisional Police Inspector Emmanuel Louis for their alleged involvement in the planning that led to Moïse's violent death inside a bedroom um, on July 7, 2021, in the hills above Port-au-Prince. That's good, that's good. So who is Faustin? Well, we'll get to see it right here. The arrest of Faustin, also known as Faustin Miradier, and Louis are part of the ongoing inquiry by investigative judge Walter Wesse Voltaire, appointed in May. Voltaire is the fifth judge assigned to the Haitian inquiry, which has been stimulated by high turnover of judges. Both men have been in custody for several days, and police are questioning them to better understand their alleged roles and connections to the other linked killings. One suspect, Marie-Jude Guibert-Dragon, was a former Haitian police commissioner and rebel leader who played a key role in a 2004 president coup that also involved Faustin. Dragon died last year of COVID-related uh, illnesses. So, and that's why I'm saying the whole system is fucked. Because in a sense, like, there's people in government that are responsible that are criminals, yet they're in they're in positions of power in government. And a bunch of cops in Haiti are corrupt as well, too. And even his involvement... Um, in the 2004 coup, this is like um, uh, similar to uh, had what happened with uh, in 1991 or 1994 with Toto Constant or Emmanuel Constant, who was the he had founded FRAP, which was a uh, paramilitary group, um, which was just to undermine the support of Ariel Henry. And even then, this is, has nothing to do with. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm showing you the the a different article. But it was known after, well, 1994 is literally showed a New York Times article. A Haitian leader of, paramilit of paramilitaries was paid by CIA. And even, which I had trouble finding the video of um, Toto Constant, but he went on entering um, on this American outlet and was saying he was getting paid at the, at the beginning of roughly 700 US a month, which is peanuts. For you to go undermine, um, <laughs> uh, go undermine another leader to 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 go please, to go please Americans and the international community, but literally, um, a lot of the, the, the these things happened. This was a leader, and he was a Haitian, but paid by the CIA. But a leader of one of Haiti's most infamous military groups was a paid informer of the Central Intelligence Agency for two years and was receiving money from the United States while his associate committee political. Associates committed political murders and other acts of oppression, government officials said today. So, and yet this is the same, keep in mind, the U.S. is the same country that wants to come back into Haiti, supposedly to help. And we know how, we know how they help internationally now. It's not a secret anymore. Um, Emmanuel Toto Constant, the head of the organi organization known as FRAP, was on the CIA's payroll in October 1993 when his group organized a violent demonstration that prevented the docking of the Navy ship Harlan County, the official said. 
the Harlan County was carrying troops dispatched to lay the groundwork for the return of Haitians, Haiti's exiled president then. Um, Jean-Baptiste Aristide and the failure of its mission was the first step down to a path eventually brought the administration to the brinking, brink of invading Haiti. It was not clear why the payments to Mr. Constant continued after his group had played the leading role to, in temporarily derailing the Clinton administration policy um, towards Haiti. Mr. Constant, who uh, um, earlier this week called on Haiti to lay down their arms, was finally dropped as an informer in the spring of 1994, after questions arose about his reliability as a source, he was beginning to get involved in things that could blow back quite badly. So, I encourage you to read the, the rest of the article, but this is nothing new um, in terms of, like, former uh, um, Haitians involved in um, undermining or being in a coup. Um, oh, yeah, undermining or being in a coup for, um, to remove a, a leader as well. So under the army generated uh, generated turn president, Faustin would rise in the ranks in power as Averill's uh, security chief um, and among those accused of torturing dem uh, democracy activists. In recent years, Faustin was a head of security for commercial enterprise and also an agent in Pro Protected Area Surveillance Brigade or BSAP. So, yeah. We'll see how this goes. He's another... He's arrested in Haiti, uh, however, the justice system is Haiti in Haiti is very weak. And who knows, um, although the all the, the mainly the suspects that were involved in last year's assassination are held in custody. From what we know, from the news that we see, um, I don't know, I'm assuming he'll be able to stay in custody for a long time over there. However, whether he gets processed in Haiti or they extradite him to the United States, we'll have to see and find out because. If he sees, for the other cases, if they do see that he was involved, for example, in the planning, which we know now the planning was done in Florida, then since it's a, um, it was done in on U.S. soil, he would have to be extradited um, to Florida and face charges there. However, if it's simply uh, he was one of the killers or involved in it and not involved in the planning, which was done in Florida, from what we know right now, then all his... Um, these charges should be laid on Haitian soil. So something we'll definitely follow here and give you the update on this um, if something new comes through. So thank you again, guys, for tuning in. Um, you'll Like I said, you'll, you're getting this episode late, um, but next week we'll be back on track. And uh, so, yeah, thank you. Please follow me on a Twitter at the 18 at the 1804 official where I just post other serious content. Um, I may start start um, creating uh, bonus episodes as well on the weekends, simply just to talk about um, s similar things that are going on in Haiti, but in Latin uh, Latin America, because uh, at the end of the day, there are similar situations in Haiti that are reflected in um, in Latin America, specifically now what I've seen in Peru with the recent coup attempt. Um, so we, I want to kind of see, um, take a look at that and explore and draw parallels between Haiti and the rest of uh, Latin America as well. Right. So thank you guys for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Take care.